Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss a restaurant designed to create an inclusive experience, the challenges of becoming an older customer, and how healthcare is failing the customers that need it most. Pizzability, usability, and adaptability. Oh my! Sometimes we need to get out of the recording studio and experience things in person. Get ready to feel like you're standing right next to us as you experience this live. Not too long ago, I heard about a restaurant concept that so piqued my interest, I had to go check it out for myself. The restaurant is based in Denver, Colorado, and is called Pizzability. Pizzability is a pizzeria completely staffed by individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It was founded by Tiffany Fixter, a special needs teacher who saw a need for jobs and training for adults with disabilities. Not only does Pizzability provide job training and skill development that will translate into future job opportunities for their employees, they also make a pretty delicious pizza as well. In fact, they've taken their philosophy and applied it to all aspects of their business. They work with a Colorado farm that employs people with intellectual and developmental disabilities to provide produce for toppings, and they're constantly on the lookout for other vendors and suppliers that have a similar commitment to working with individuals who have disabilities. Given that I live just up the road in Boulder, Colorado, I decided to take a little road trip to Denver and asked my good friend Nick Hemmert to join me for lunch at Pizzability. What follows is a recording of the conversation that we had while we were in the restaurant waiting for our order to be prepared. Pizzability is a fascinating restaurant in Denver, Colorado, and that the staff all have disabilities. The restaurant was designed to create a place where folks who had disabilities could actually come to work. And as I walked into Pizzability, on a Friday afternoon at about 12.30 for lunch, the restaurant is absolutely packed, packed to the gills. It's almost standing room only. And what's really fascinating to me and my buddy Nick Hemmert, who I'm sitting here talking with, who are having lunch, is the fact that in many ways the customers are the staff and the staff are the customers. You were saying something about that, Nick. Yeah, the, uh, what, I, what I appreciate about what I'm seeing here with you know, the 30 to 40 people that are literally standing, you know, uh, they've finished their lunch, they're just kind of hanging around, 
uh, socializing, um, is that it's a it's a place for them to be able to do that at lunchtime. Whereas where, you just hear another person just kind of get excited here a second ago, and that just and that's kind of acceptable for for this place. I think if, if they went to another restaurant that's traditional at lunch on a Friday. You know, I don't think they'd be able to have socialized time. You know, even if it was like a, like a, you know, a coffee shop or a place that that would be more socially acceptable. I think it, it, it was really great just to see that there are people of all different abilities here for lunch, not just those with you know with unique abilities and uh, but, but, but with all abilities having uh, you know conversations and, and being able to be themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things about the restaurant that are incredibly thoughtful and uh, clearly show that a, a lot of consideration has gone in not only to the customer experience but to the employee experience. For example, when we walked up to order, uh, our menu was a single sheet of paper that had photos of different types of pizza you can get. And you circle the photo of the type of pizza that you want and then whether you want a single slice or a full pizza and then you write your name at the bottom. And so what becomes very apparent very quickly is that regardless of someone's ability to maybe read or speak uh, English, they're able to look at the pictures and know exactly what you want. I'll include some photos in the show notes, not only of the menu, but also of the, uh, the recipes for the different pizzas are listed above the pizza preparation area. So it becomes very clear that anyone, just by looking at the pictures, is going to be able to build out the various uh, recipes for the pizza that folks would order. They also give us two little tickets for the gelato. So this restaurant, Pizzability, uh, serves pizza, they have drinks, and they have gelato for dessert. And we got two tickets for gelato, which the staff person who gave them to me uh, shared that the reason they give out the tickets is then when we come up, all we have to do is an exchange of ticket, and their staff know that one ticket is good for one scoop of gelato. So it's a great way to not only have some efficiency in how quickly they can turn tables and something that most restaurants pay attention to, but it really allows anyone on the other side of the counter, the staff member, to be able to take the order and process the order. Uh, regardless of uh, what their abilities may or may not be. Yeah, the other thing I'm noticing too is this, the variety of different areas that they've created for people to sit. So they have uh, like they have outdoor furniture. They have uh, we're sitting at a table that's not a traditional outdoor table with with a, with, a sun, with an umbrella underneath it. Inside they have you know traditional restaurant setting where they have small you know tables for two tables for groups. Uh, they also have a bar where people can sit yeah. and actually watch. Um, you know the pizza being made, or you know watch the watch the check out the environment that's going on. Someone just came in with a with a dog mat and set it down next to their spot at the bar for someone to for their dog to just kind of enjoy the enjoy the environment as well. Yeah, I think what the thing that is uh, most amazing to me is I don't know the last time I ate at a restaurant where the customer base was as diverse as it is here. Um, just based on observations, you pretty much can see uh, folks of all races, all genders. Uh, you know, 
it appears to be all walks of life if, if one were to just base uh, an observation based on, on dress or kind of where people are at. And the entire space has a very fun, inclusive, uh, open feel to it. I mean, even the, what's interesting is the doors to the restaurant, we're sitting outside, the doors to the restaurant are propped open. And it appears, again, uh, not entirely sure, but yeah, they've got a garage door on one side that's up and on this side of the restaurant are regular just kind of double doors, but they're propped open. And I get the feeling based on looking at the ground and where they're propped is that they're propped open all day, every day. Um, so unlike a typical restaurant where lots of times even opening a door could be a challenge for someone depending on uh, some physical challenges they may have, here you can roll in, you can walk in, you can just enter the space uh, without any encumbrances and be right up to the bar uh, placing your order, right up to the counter placing your order. And it just, uh, it's got a great energy and a great vibe to it. I think so many businesses, so many restaurants try to create a theme or a vibe. Uh, if I had to describe, uh, describe the vibe of pizzability in one word, it's inclusive. I agree. Yeah. Fantastic place. So if you get the chance, highly recommend. Come to Denver, Colorado. Come to Pizzability. You won't be disappointed. And there are some great lessons that we can take away that uh, Dan and I are going to talk more about. But uh, thanks for joining us for an experience live. And uh, thanks to Nick for uh, letting us record our conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Oh, and they just called our name because our food's here now. So, Wow. I mean, this sounds like an absolutely amazing place, Joey. And I'm so glad that you found it because it's just a perfect example of something that we like to share on this show. I'm reminded uh, back in episode 42 where we talked about the uh, Starbucks outside of D.C., right near Gallaudet University, that uh, committed to having an entire store filled with employees that could speak sign language and uh, and that the, the store was a lot quieter than other um, stores because of that. But I think this is such a great idea on so many fronts. I think it, um, number one, I love the fact that it is providing job opportunities uh, and skill development. Number two, I think it's providing for customers I think some exposure to uh, people with intellectual and development disabilities and the fact that they can work regular jobs and that they can be a contributing part of society. Um, And I think it's probably a myth buster in a lot of ways for for, um, consumers. And obviously, because it is a restaurant, you did mention that they have delicious pizza too. And I think that's really important because I don't think this experiment would work if the food wasn't good. Absolutely. I think if the food wasn't good, you'd go once to say that you did it or to say that you supported the cause. But wouldn't keep you coming back for more. And I have to tell you, I was I was surprised not only at the inclusiveness of the restaurant, but the way they had everything set up. I mean, the pizza was great. The gelato was great. This is a place that I absolutely will go back to again. And I also find myself thinking that when I have clients or friends come to Denver, I want to take them there because I think it so beautifully illustrates inclusive design and being conscious of the fact that you may have customers that are different than you and what can you do to design your business 
process for that. Uh, it's just if I can jump in, you know, I uh, when I worked uh, particularly at Discover, also at Humana on the websites, a lot of the work is having to develop features and functionalities that are based on the rules outlined in the American Disabilities Act that requires certain ways of consuming. And what I found over time is that almost everything that we quote unquote had to do, that the lawyers say, well, you have to do this to be in compliance with ADA, ended up creating a better experience for everyone because it's making things often simpler to read or easier to um, manually click on or whatever it is, whatever, whatever disability you're trying to address. It actually makes the whole experience smoother for everyone. Absolutely. And I think what was fascinating is uh, after we finished recording, I was in the restaurant and walking around and I noticed some other things that I hadn't noticed the first time uh, when we walked in. Uh, The restaurant has a menu of adaptive utensils. So they have special utensils designed for different types of customers, including easy hold utensils that strap to your hand for people that struggle to maintain grip strength. They have bendable utensils that have an adjustable head to make it easier to move the food to your mouth. And they have weighted utensils that help reduce spilled food caused by shaking hands. Pizzability also had a wall filled with items to assist those dealing with sensory challenges, including a half dozen pairs of noise-canceling headphones and textured mats for guests that benefit from tactile stimulation. In short, my time at Pizzability was incredibly eye-opening about the ways that customer-centric design can anticipate the needs of many different types of customers that might come into your business. Now, let's be honest, not every business is going to be specifically designed to be as open and inclusive as Pizzability. That being said, there are dozens of little things you can do to make the people that purchase your products and services feel more comfortable, more considered, and more valued. If you want to see photos of Pizzability, their creative menu solution, and some of the other experience-enhancing features that we spoke about in this segment, check out the show notes at experiencethisshow.com. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. I've got a question for you, Dan. Do you know what the average life expectancy is for a man and for a woman here in the United States? Well, I know that women tend to live longer than men. Correct. And so I would guess that it's maybe for a man, say, 75-ish and maybe a woman, 80. Very, very close, my friend. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the average life expectancy is 78.6 years for men and 81.1 years for women. But what's more interesting is that as people grow older, life expectancy is actually increasing. What that means is that as time goes on, we're continuing to live longer. And so for those people who are now 65 years old, the average life expectancy is actually 83 for men and over 85 for women. And this is only going to keep going up. Now, while generally speaking, this is certainly a good thing, There's some pretty big problems with this shifting life expectancy, and a big concern is outlined in today's CX Press article from the Fast Company website, and don't worry folks, we'll link to it in the show notes over at experiencethisshow.com. 
The article is titled, I wrote the book on user-friendly design. What I see today horrifies me, and was written by Don Norman. Don is the 83-year-old author of the industry bible, Design of Everyday Things, and a former vice president at Apple. Now, Don Norman knows a thing or two about user-friendly design, as is probably obvious by his background and bio. He wrote the book. And in our article, he explains the challenges that he faces in his own home. As a reminder, Don himself is 83. And I'm quoting. Everyday household goods require knives and pliers to open. Containers with screw tops require more strength than my wife or I can muster. We solve this by using a plumber's wrench to turn the caps. Companies insist on printing critical instructions in tiny fonts with very low contrast. Labels cannot be read without flashlights and magnifying glasses. And when companies do design things specifically for the elderly, they tend to be ugly devices that shout out to the world, I'm old and I can't function. I I love that quote. Um, I'm reminded of uh, my mom who, both on her computer and her iPhone, has the font setting to something that is so big that to me, it looks like she fits about three words on a page, but this is how she consumes. And I remember when I worked at Humana, having to focus on that senior population that you can't design it like you're designing it for millennials. It's not how they consume. It's not how they read. And uh, and I think that obviously Don Norman is the uh, – he's the, the king and the uh, the emperor of, um, of design thinking. And it's very interesting that he's now at an age where he's starting to experience this himself. I often find that uh, I'll be sitting somewhere, and even if it's not a physical thing, like for example, signing up for healthcare. Every year when I was was in the corporate America and I was signing up for healthcare and I had this big spreadsheet going with all the comparisons, I was like, what do the dumb people do? Because I'm pretty smart, I feel, and this is really hard and taking up a lot of time and it's not designed to be easy. Sure, I, I mean, I definitely had a variation on that theme. Having gone to law school, I often find myself reading things Things going, I'm struggling to understand this. How would you understand it if you didn't have a law degree? But I think what's interesting about the points that Don makes is not only is there a growing population of senior citizens, but we also have an increasingly uh, large number of active, healthy, 65 plus year old people on the planet who aren't a small market. And these people, in fact, usually have more time and more discretionary income that they're happy to put into the marketplace if the marketplace is willing to design things that will meet their needs. Nadan points out a few different challenges that older people face that businesses should take into consideration. The first one is reduced vision. When you think about your own products and services, How much of the associated text, whether it's directions or warning labels, identification marks, etc., is written in a typeface that is so small you need a magnifying glass to read to? Or what about hearing loss? Don notes in the article that it's become difficult for him to eat in a loud restaurant. He calls it torture and observes that, quote, more and more, my wife and I select restaurants by their noise level rather than by their food quality, unquote. How many restaurants, coffee shops, and places where people gather are adding to the noise with loud music, loud machines, and the hustle and bustle of customer traffic without considering the fact that some customers may be choosing not to do business with them because of the loud sounds at their business? And don't even get us started on technology that increasingly requires on touch. 
the increase in devices using display screens, often with tiny lettering and touch-sensitive areas, makes it a challenge for anyone with diminishing eye-hand coordination. You know, the sad thing, Dan, is that it's actually even worse than this, right? As if the status quo wasn't challenging enough, the companies that are targeting the senior market often do so in less than design conscious or experience conscious fashion. Products that are designed for the elderly, I'm just gonna say it straight, they tend to be ugly. You know, back in my great grandmother's time, a cane was often seen as a functional tool with an artistic accessory element. I remember very well, she had a black wooden cane with a silver eagle's head on top of it with green jewels in the eyes. It was stunning. You could see it from across the room. Now, canes and walkers look like they were designed to use the most metal in the boxiest format and ideally be strapped on the side of a rocket going to space. Today, a cane isn't an accessory. It's a medical device. It's so funny you should bring up that example because my mom had hip surgery uh, last year and she had to use a cane for a little while and she asked her grandchildren to decorate it with stickers. And so all four grandchildren brought stickers and made her, she had the coolest cane around and she said that people stopped her in the street because they thought her cane was so cool. Right, and so we, we shift from having a cane being a sign of maybe things in your life that aren't going the way you'd like them to go, a decrease in mobility, to a cane being a topic of conversation. Exactly, so in the field of design, Paying attention to the potential use cases of all customers is called inclusive design. It anticipates a variety of needs and in the process helps everyone. So Don notes that curb cuts, those gentle slopes between the sidewalk and the street, were meant to help people who had trouble walking. But it turns out they help anyone wheeling things, carts, baby carriages, suitcases, and more. You know, this is exactly what you were talking about from the work you used to do around ADA compliance, right? When we make a website more compliant with the American with Americans with Disabilities Act, it makes the website more usable for everyone. So this isn't just about, hey, let's be kind to the elderly and do better designs for them. This is, let's be more conscious of our design and design things that are going to help everyone experience our products and services better. You know, let's be candid. Everybody listening to this show will at some point be older than they are right now and probably significantly older. Wow, that's pretty deep. Pretty, In fact, pretty deep. They you already like are older than they were just a few seconds ago. And that's one to grow on. No, probably significantly older. We need to start thinking about more inclusive designs now. And if not for the benefit for those who are elderly today, then we should do it for more selfish reasons because we're going to be the elderly of the future. So here's how you can start working on this now. Look at your products and services and honestly ask whether they're user-friendly for users of all ages. And don't just take your own theoretical opinion on this. Talk to people who are elderly. Give them your products. Have them experience your services and see what they have to say about your products. Do a focus group with people over age 65 instead of just a focus group with the millennials. If we want to build something that is long-term, if we want to have products and services that can stand the test of time, we need to design those services and design those products to work for customers who are long-term themselves. Sometimes all it takes is a single question 
to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is the art of design thinking. Designing new experiences isn't easy. Many organizations default to just fixing broken experiences, and in many cases, that simply isn't enough to meet your customers' expectations. To amaze customers, you must design new experiences or redesign old experiences with an intentional focus on the customer and with their point of view in mind. What exactly is design thinking? Here are three key components. One, exploring innovative ideas and solutions beyond what you think may be currently possible. Two, empathizing with customers and keeping their needs and point of view at the forefront throughout the design process. And three, creating experiences that address customer needs and expectations first and business needs and goals second. You know, interestingly enough, Dan, I think this is what actually got me interested in customer experience in the first place, because I'd been running an ad agency where we were doing a lot of design. I mean, literal design, designing logos, designing ad campaigns, uh, graphics, business cards. And the more I started to think about all the experiences that folks were having, I realized that we could take that design thinking and extend it into the actual experiences, taking it beyond colors and typefaces and instead making it about how folks interact with all of the various products and services we offered. So I think adopting this type of design thinking is not only a must for the success of your business, But it's something that's really fun too. And it's a great way to engage your employees in a conversation that makes them feel that they have a voice, makes them feel that they're being heard, and it allows them to build more empathy and connection with your customers and the types of people you serve. And now for this week's question about the art of design thinking. Is my organization actively engaging in design thinking? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own organization and then continue it with Avtex at experienceconversations.com. Again, that's www.experienceconversations.com. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. I recently published a three-part series on Forbes about the state of healthcare in the United States and the many, many customer experience opportunities that exist in an industry that is continually ranked at the bottom of most customer satisfaction surveys. The first article in the series was called Why Treating Patients as Consumers Can Improve the Healthcare Experience, and the second one was As Healthcare Goes Digital, Consumer Engagement and Experience Improve. But I really want to discuss the third one today, which fits in so well with this episode. Why an aging population means healthcare customer experience must adapt. Now, we're all familiar with how difficult and unsatisfying the healthcare experience can be in the United States. It's hard to sign up for healthcare. It's hard to understand healthcare jargon, something that we talked about in episode 13. It's often hard to schedule an appointment with a doctor unless you're willing to wait weeks or even months. And there's still tons of literal paperwork, stuff that should be digitized. Just try to piece together your entire health history in any meaningful way. 
Now imagine how much tougher this is on the older population. You know, Dan, I thought there was one really poignant quote in your article. Uh, it came from David Stewart, a founding partner at Aegist, a company that is dedicated to promoting life after 50. And he said, quote, we have found that treating people as intelligent, informed adults gets better outcomes and a more positive view of the brand or company. Uh, I found that quote poignant, but the fact that it even needs to be said is pathetic, and it shows that we've lost our way in the healthcare industry. Totally agree, Joey, uh, and that's why I included it. But <laughs> I, I get it. Well, let's let's say the desired effect of creating an emotional rise out of your readers was achieved. Exactly. Thank you. So I also got to talk with Gita Wilson, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Consumer Society. It's an early stage tech and experience design company building an enterprise experience management technology platform to connect all of the major industry players in healthcare, the insurance companies, healthcare professionals, and consumers. Now, full disclosure, Gita and I work together at Humana, and she's a good friend. But I asked her, is the healthcare system failing seniors today? And here's what she said. The short answer is yes. While there have been gains in precision medicine, life sciences, and medical treatments, the administration and navigation of healthcare as a system remains complex and confusing to all consumers. When you add to this population differences related to ageing, such as chronic conditions, digital literacy and social determinants of health, the ageing experience in healthcare falls short. The industry is unprepared for a very different ageing population than it has traditionally served in the past, for the last 30 plus years. Commonly known as the silent generation, accepts a more passive approach to health and receives medical opinion and authority without question very different from today. The newer ageing population were nearly double in size to about 80 million by 2030. And the industry is not prepared for this unless it starts to aggressively address some of the gaps in the consumer experience we are seeing today. Older adults are poised to shape consumer and healthcare experiences in the years ahead. At Consumer Society, we design experiences for specific segments and personas who have defining motivations attitudes and behaviours, in addition to their preferences and demographic characteristics. While all consumer needs are important, we think solving for the most complex demographic, that is an ageing population with at least one chronic condition and perhaps an indifferent or antagonistic attitude towards their health, will set the stage for all populations and their needs to be met. Healthcare is obviously not alone, as we've discussed in this episode. The aging population in the United States will be the largest of all time, and the 50-plus cohort controls 70% of consumer discretionary spending in the United States. Designing for seniors is no longer optional. It's now a core responsibility for nearly every company in every industry. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. 
come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.